welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What are we going to talk about today, gentlemen? Geek, geek. I just have to start out with a little... Man's not hot. <laughs> two plus two equals four. Plus one is five. I want more. Todd Yates analysis. Uh, no, I was me starting out with a little uh, little nod to D- Danny Rick in P5. A very slow and slightly unearned P5, but P5 nonetheless. Uh, I P5 mean, I'm from rural Missouri, but that looks like a win to me, especially after the eventful year that Mr. Honey Badger himself has had. Take the points and run. Yeah. So where do you guys want to start? Actually, I'm jumping way ahead. We got to do the race rundown. We do have to do the race rundown, and I'll take that as a segue. So thank you for that, Todd. Uh, In first place, we have Sergio Perez, a Red Bull, but not the one we anticipated. Uh, Second was Charles Leclerc, followed by his Ferrari prancing horse teammate, Carlos Sainz. Then a result that probably makes my two co-hosts happier than most, which is the back-to-back Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo in fourth and fifth, followed by Todd's other favorite driver, Lance Strolovich in sixth. Then Max Verstappen falling to the jinx I put on last episode. So you're welcome, America and parts of the world. Sebastian Vettel, the king of Singapore or the line of Singapore, depending on which article you want to read in eighth, followed by a real British lion, Lewis Hamilton in ninth, Pierre Gasly in tenth, then we had Valtteri Bottas, Kevin Magnussen, Mick Schumacher, George Russell, all finishing the race but not having points. And then the start of six DNFs with Yuki Tsunoda, Esteban Ocon, Alex Albon, Fernando Alonso, Nicholas Latifi, and Joe Guan Yu bringing up the rear. That was your race. Guys, where do we want to start? As a famous man once asked previously in this podcast. I'm far from famous. Start <laughs> at the beginning. I mean, massive rain delay. Uh, which was kind of good for me because I decided to not get up and watch it live, which I would have been pretty salty if I did. And then they started like an hour and 20 minutes late or whatever, which turned into a pretty rare occurrence of actually hitting the two hour time window. And we finished, uh, under time, not under laps, which is, I can't, I, I don't know the stat off the top of my head, but. I want to say from memory, we've had that happen probably two or three times in the last decade. Yeah, definitely not that often. So, how, how does that how does that rule work for the new people to Formula One? Explain time. So, I heard it's a flat circle. <laughs> it essentially is a flat circle. So they have a four hour window. This is the way Formula One works. From the declared start time. So if they say we're starting the race at 8 p.m. or whatever it was in the in the case of Singapore, it's a four-hour window from 8 p.m. However, they moved, they knew that it was going to be a delayed start. So they said official start time is going to be 8:30 or something like that, right? So then the, the clock starts counting from 8:30, and they have four hours to complete the race. There are and I mean four hours to complete the race is in the race can get paused for red flags. We've seen that in other races, but they have four, a four hour window of which two hours of racing needs to be completed. So that's the max allotment for actual racing. Um, 
So they have two hours once the actual race gets underway to complete the race. And because of the way Singapore is is made, uh, it's usually close to two hours anyway. Um, and then I think, yeah, the record is now 100, uh, 100 batting 1,000, I guess you could say, um, for safety cars in Singapore. So they've always, every time the Singapore Grand Prix has been held, the, the safety cars come out. So now keeping that record alive. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Furthers the narrative of certain traditions in Formula One dare not be broken, regardless of what the circumstances are. So thank you for that analysis. I aim to please. So uh, pretty quickly off the bat, we had uh, chaos. I mean, with a wet start, um, the basically shoe-in world champion for this year uh, had a terrible start when an anti-stall dropped from, what was it, ninth to 14th or something. He got swallowed up at the start. Uh, Checo, on the other hand, had a fantastic start and got by Leclerc by after the, or before the first corner. And then it was, it was just kind of off to the races. He pretty much had that race under control from, from start to finish and had probably his best race in Formula One history. Everyone's going to talk about the facts. What was it? Abu Dhabi a couple, two years ago. He went from P20 and won the race, which was amazing for sure. But um, I think this was probably more impressive because he was put under pressure and had to restart due to safety cars and virtual safety cars. I think there were a total of five in this race. I think that um, sounds right. They had three... Three real safety cars and two virtual, I want to say, for various reasons. But he held his composure the entire race, even when he was under like massive pressure right at the end there from Leclerc. Uh, he only had really one fumble that I can think of, going a little wide, getting on the wet patch, and he was able to scoop it back up. But it was, I mean, probably his definitely his best race all season, even though he has previous wins. Uh, I think it was his most impressive drive or one of his most impressive drives, if not his most ever. Which yeah, I definitely think it's... Oh, go ahead. Tom. No, I was going to... I just thought of this. I was listening to something earlier. Um, <laughs> it was a crazy stat, and this is just my fanboyism for DR. The gap between Lando and D DR, everybody like talks about like how far off Daniel Ricciardo has been off of Lando. We've we're always like super hard on and critical of the Honey Badger because of that. On average, Checo's gap to to Max has been double what uh, Lando to Danny Rick has been this season, which is a crazy thing you Damn. don't think of because he's always he's in a better car, so he's always generally somewhere in the points. You know, on a good race he's P two, P three, P four. On a bad race he's P8, P9, P10, something like that. But the gap, mm -hmm. or performance gap, I should say, because it's always varying, has been uh, on average so somewhere around double what Lando and Danny Ricks have been, which is crazy to think about. So if you think about it that way, Checo's had a pretty shit year, even though he's like up there in in the championship. I think he's second or third right now, still. Even I after today. Third. I'll go ahead and look yep. that up, and if you guys can give me some glamping background after I'm done with this monologue, please do it. 
I just think that's a fascinating stat, like you had mentioned, Todd. But now it also makes me want to look at every other driver pairing on the grid and say, okay, what exactly does that mean in terms of the context of it? Because what you've just said, comparing those two teams, that's equally a damning indictment and probably the biggest plaudit that Checo Perez has because now, like, he is right now the best teammate a championship driver can have because I don't think Red Bull would have it any other way. And to his credit, he has not kind of kicked up a nuisance publicly. So kudos to Checo for doing this type of job this season. And I think this is more than a just reward. I hope he gets one more because I famously said the one race he is going to win is going to be Mexico. So maybe he can get that second one off. But I'm still flabbergasted by that stat. Like, is that also part of the Christian Horner PR experience where like he can just navigate that under the world's biggest rug because that is eye-opening to say the least what are you thinking about this nick i mean that's crazy to to like i'm kind of dumbfounded by it because i would have never even thought to todd's point right checo's always somewhere close so it doesn't it it's like it seems unfathomable that his gap is that far compared to Danny Rick, who we have lovingly criticized all year, as well as everyone else in the world, because you just have higher expectations. But that's also like, I don't know. That's also, you know, you got to give Max credit for just being so dominant when Checo is clearly capable. Like this drive is, is a good example, clearly capable of, of driving an amazing you know, car to an amazing result, but just not consistently like Max, right? And I mean, yeah, it it does make me want to see what the the gaps are between the rest of the drivers because it it almost seems like Checo's probably, if if it's that far, Checo's probably one of the bigger gaps between the cars performance-wise, right? I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. The the I've been thinking about it a lot since I've heard it, and the reason I think it doesn't feel as shocking is say like Max is, uh, you know, a second faster than the nearest car, right? So and there's a I think, and I don't quote me on these stats, but I think on average pace wise, Denny Rick's been about seven eight tenths off of off of Lando's average pace whatever you want to call it um so if that means if Checo's double that he's a second and a half at least behind max which if you think about it max has been or like in the if in the car pecking order max is always out front right so if mm-hmm. Checo is a second and a half behind him he's he's still you know potentially three four tenths faster than the rest of the non-top three cars so if if he's in like p6 pace wise even being double max's pace average or double danny rick's gap i i should say he's still in front of everybody except for maybe one of the mercedes and both ferraris and max so that's why it doesn't feel like he's that far off No, I mean, and I guess also kind of going back to one of the other points that you called out, I am going to be devil's advocate in this sense. I still think that the drive where Checo went from 20th to 1st is more impressive because we also had that backdrop of, is this man fighting for his life? Because we had just heard the news that 
Racing Point at that point had been called or had been going through that new rebrand of Aston Martin and he had lost his role because I think it was going to Vettel. But yeah, this is a podium in terms of the Checo Perez driving performances. This is probably number two for me. If you ask him, gun to his head or drinking a vial of truth serum, depending on if you're an extremist or a pacifist, what do you guys think he would say about his own performance this season? Do you feel like he is being a good soldier in private or is some part of him frustrated at the fact that he has not been, in these type of terminologies and statistics, a competitive driver? I think for me... He's more frustrated at his pace differential than he would be about the the team orders things. Because like I'm sure there's been a couple of races where he's been kind of put put to the side because of team orders or favoring Max in the strategy or or whatever. But I also think he knew what he signed up for when he was joining Red Bull. Like, yes, he got a chance to fight for what race wins consistently. And every every single driver on the grid says they want to be a world champion, right? Otherwise, like, what's the point if you're, why are you there? But I think he knew what he was signing up for being a number two driver and the, everything was going to be pointed towards Max. I think the biggest frustration for him is him trying to adapt to the car that's being built for Max um, because like the characteristics of the car are a little bit more, pointy as they say in scientific terms it's a little bit more loose on the rear end which max that's like his preferred driving style so it's a little more oversteery in the corners and stuff and he's an absolute master at catching those little slides super quick hands and stuff and that's where he's comfortable and checo likes a little bit more understeer so i think his frustration would come from not being able to adapt and get closer to max i don't think he's expecting to be on max's level i don't think anybody right now really, really is. I'm, I hate to be the, uh, the, the rookie asking these questions and, and I actually know the answer, but you probably explain it better, but what's the difference between understeer and oversteer for people that don't know? Great question. I was going to ask that. Thank you. From one fellow rookie to another okay. rookie. <laughs> so if you're driving a car in the snow, right. And you turn the wheel, and the car keeps going straight, that's understeer. Again, it's driving the same car in the snow and you turn the wheel and the car starts to turn, but then the car keeps turning even though you're not turning the wheel that much, that's oversteer. Simplest way I can put it. This is why he gets yeah. paid the big bucks. And this is why I just friended this man on LinkedIn. It's that hard-hitting analysis and corporate know-how that really puts Todd Yates at the upper echelon, almost on a Max Verstappen godlike tier when it comes to financing for your home in the greater Bay Area. So thank you for that, Todd. We're in 49 states, sir. 49? Oh, I'm sorry. Get your shit together, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, no, the good answer, though. And typically... Do you think is is which is more common for drivers to request those setups? Is it more common for drivers to to prefer the understeer? Yeah, definitely. The, the the understeer just just for I I guess in my experience, understeer is a little bit easier to drive for most people, right? Like most streetcars are going to have way more understeer than oversteer. It's it's really like the 
it's the it's the crazy ones you got to watch out for that want the oversteer, in my opinion. Yeah, but uh, over or in the least <laughs> scientific way I can say this, oversteer is faster than understeer because you're not scrubbing across the tires much. One, it saves tires. Two, pace wise, it is a little bit faster to have the car rotate for you in the corner because then you can carry more speed and as long as you can manage the the, the ass end of it excuse me the back end of it kicking out a little bit and you can catch that it is faster to have oversteer through most race scenarios now i was gonna say like most drivers will probably have its own impact correct sorry i didn't hear that row oh apologies i think i over talked over nick no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I'm sure having inclement weather conditions probably adds another layer of complexity to the whole, do I prefer understeer, oversteer? But the way you kind of make, uh, you described it to me, Todd, it almost felt very deflategate-ish. So I will definitely be looking this up and seeing if there are any quote unquote competitive advantages to understeering versus oversteering. I think it's a risk evaluation more than anything for, for drivers, right? Like Max is incredibly fast with his hands like that. Not every driver, all these guys are incredible drivers, but you still have to be so fast to, to be able to catch that the way Max does. Because like all drivers are great at like navigating these things by the time they get to Formula One, but you absolutely are at a disadvantage with that type of car in wet weather comparatively if if you don't have max hands, right? Can we make a max hands t-shirt? Because we <laughs> desperately need some. <laughs> Just like the most generic gif, like jazz hands. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> max hands. <laughs> Orange gloves. Because, you know, he's Dutch. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think... To Todd's question about Checo and how he kind of feels about all of this, I think that he's, he, yeah, I think Todd's spot on. I think he knows what he got himself into. I think that the, you know, these guys understand the the team orders before they sign, right? And all of them would like to think that they can be better than whatever team orders are coming. But let's be honest, there's only there's only probably one or maybe two teams where there are team orders and even that I would say would be Lewis up until this season. Max is going to be the number one guy at Red Bull for the foreseeable future. You know, like there's nobody on the grid that's going to be able to like even touch that in terms of, you know, not having to take a seat when Max needs the points. Right. And to that extent, it's it's actually really fascinating to me that that Checo came out and just dominated this race because this is the first race that Max could have clinched the title. So, I mean, I think Checo is maybe has a little bit more fire under him right now than he would have in previous races. But I also think that he's, you know, he, kind of kind of to to he's the opposite of Max, right? Like. I don't feel like anything gets under Max's skin. And I think that I think that everybody else on the grid right now has little things that get under their skin and, and throw them off. And I think Checo proved today that he he's capable of not letting things get under his skin, even though, you know, 
he's i know we use this comparison or this rather this nickname of smooth operator for carlos signs but i think checo is probably equally as smooth because he like signs has that superpower that i've always kind of mentioned in this podcast series around the fact that he just does a really good job of shutting up and driving like whatever you want to throw his way Checo will get through it and we are almost flabbergasted by how professional he is and one last thing going back to the ass that todd had looking at the driver standings on formula1.com right now and i'm not sure if they've incorporated the results from singapore first is max obviously second is charles leclerc with 237 points sergio perez in third place with 235 so we literally only have two points between Checo and charles leclerc and that makes that stat that probably will be the focal point of this episode even more amazing. The fact that Checo might fuck around and get second place and still have that big of a gap. Yeah, that's it just wild. speaks to how insane that Red Bull is this year. Yeah. <clears throat> so, segue from the fastest car on the grid to. The second fastest, but actually fastest, but not over a race distance and usually gets botched by strategy red cars. Man, was that uh, <laughs> like, like I said earlier, like this is this race felt like it had literally all signs of like just a, all the chaos yeah, from the last signs. year. Yeah, <laughs> sure did. All the signs of. Uh, all the chaos that happened last year all wrapped in into one race. We had like I said, like Magnuson uh meatball flag caused by his own doing. We had Yuki in a cold tire situation running into the wall. We had uh God, what else was there? Uh, I'll, I'll give you one. The puff of smoke from uh, Ocon's Alpine, I think after lap 28. <laughs> we also saw the, I don't, do we want to call it probably one of the most prolific strings of bad luck we've seen where Fernando Alonso once again did not finish in the points. And I think he's further pushing that narrative around the fact that he's lost somewhat around Maybe I misread this, but he claims he's lost somewhere around 60 points this year just due to the Alpine ineptitude and his own aggressive driving behavior, which I'm like, okay, shoot your shot, buddy. Maybe somebody will buy it. Yeah. No, he's he's right. He's lost a fair amount of points to reliability, but he he uh, is generous in his averaging upwards uh, every time. <laughs> every time he talks about this, because it's not the first time he's... <laughs> seen it um but he's ge- definitely generous and then i think he went on to say in that same interview today that without the reliability concerns he'd be uh he'd be with the mercedes which is like another 30 points above where he said he's lost due to reliability you, you so. know what let me speak on fernando's behalf why stop there as far as i'm concerned he should be naked no he should have a verstappen like lead over the rest of the grid it's just that alpine ineptitude and that's why nobody wants to drive for them Fernando, you've done it again. I tip my Kimona hat to you, sir. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So this race had literally everything, including going back, segue back to the red cars, a botched, botched strategy, or not botched strategy, I guess, but botched pit stop, which put uh, Leclerc, I think it was like five or six second pit stop when everybody was still cranking out two second pit stops, even with the, the wet conditions. Uh, put him in a bad way. I think he had a really good drive other than that, and they didn't screw him out of his uh, 
you know, potential results. He obviously had a bad start or like a decent start. I think the reaction time, they were dead even, uh, Checo and, and Leclerc. But um, in the second phase of the, the race start, as they call it, so basically second gear, when he switched gears and se- <coughs> switched into second gear, he hit a wet patch, spun the tires, and that's why Checo just breezed past him. But what I want to focus more on signs when we're talking red cars because he was absolutely nowhere today. He was immediately... I don't know. After the first safety car, I think he he had caught back up, but pretty quickly thereafter was like 15 seconds behind or something. Or maybe that was after the second car, but it was bad. It was like way back. No, and as a resident science fanboy, I can't even defend him. Like my whole thought process was this is the first time I've genuinely felt that Charles Leclerc was a better driver definitively watching those two race this year. And it's also one of those things where it was going so badly in my mind. I thought it was inevitable that your boy, Nick Lando was going to get his podium and deliver one of six podiums from now until the end of the season, because he literally looked like his car was coated in molasses. Like, and I don't understand it because what we've lauded him in the past and me especially is just his ability to deal with the elements and just get on with it. And maybe he did do that today. And maybe that's why he was able to secure the podium. But this felt like a huge let off for me. If Ferrari was in some sort of constructor race, I would view this as a disappointment, but because Red Bull has been so inevitable this year, this was a great weekend for them because we've removed that specter of, Hey, there's any sort of competitive nature from a constructor's perspective. Yeah. I, I, I guess like, why was he so far off? Like, is it, is it, wet weather and hesitancy and is it like a mental thing you think because to your point we saw i mean we saw max go straight we saw lewis into the you know into the wall a little bit right uh, essentially in that weather fresh tires it's it's slick like these guys can't make the turns the way they would normally make and i'm wondering if signs is seeing that and that's a part of the you know, like, yes, he's still he's still finished third. But is it just his own hesitancy that's holding him back at this point in that situation, you think? I, I mean, I think he had a bad weekend all around. He said himself like he never really got super comfortable with the car. You could see that there was a gap in qualifying in free practice, all that. So I'm not surprised that he was that far off, but. It felt like it got worse in the race somehow, and I don't know if he had a couple moments. He didn't get a ton of coverage in the race today because he was kind of in no man's land. He was, I don't know, six or so seconds in front of Lando and, like I said, like 15 or so seconds behind P2. So he was kind of in no man's land for the for the majority of the race. And, uh, yeah, I think after that second safety car, when Lando when they were all on fresh uh, fresh tires, I think it was when they went to slicks during the safety car or the second safety car um, that Lando was actually hanging with him and it just looked like he wasn't comfortable in the car, didn't trust the car, didn't have, didn't have the pace kind of overall. Um, but I, I, I just, we just talked about the gap between between Checo and, and Max and the antithesis of that this year 
and giving Ferrari kind of headaches in their number one versus number two driver has been Charles and, and Carlos have kind of been trading blows in that sense where there's been one weekend where Carlos is just way faster than when Charles and vice versa. I think obviously uh, Charles has been the better driver over the course of the season, but there's definitely been peaks and valleys for both of them. So I was just surprised to see him so far off because he has his weekends where he'll be a little bit off, but not that, especially in race pace. Usually he comes comes good in the, in the race, regardless of the type of weekend he's having. So I don't know what that was. Maybe we'll hear more about it in the next couple of days, but yeah, it was, it was real bad. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also one of those things where, and you guys keep me honest, but I thought I heard Lewis Hamilton complaining about him during the race saying this guy's ruining his race because of how slow he's doing. And my mind was sorry, team LH, like, isn't that your whole point as a race car driver is to get past these slow people like isn't that where your bread is buttered so i don't know i mean even the optics of a newbie like me just kind of viewing this it's just like something feels off so to your point i'm really interested because i know i just did a cursory carlos signs google news uh search just to see what exactly was being said by him about him regarding him and the two biggest things are the fact that i guess he recently admitted that ferrari wants charles to win and if that's actually true i'm surprised that hasn't made the news more and then the other thing is the fact that i think a lot of people are are disappointed by this performance which is something we don't normally say about him i mean i think that that probably has to do with the timing coming down to the end of the season right like they're you know checo's two points behind leclerc in standings like that's definitely something that they should be concerned with i i know that there's not as much money involved in like you know first and second to second to third but like you know as far as the team goes they're pretty securely in second unless uh, unless something crazy happens right but like that shouldn't affect your that shouldn't affect your drive to that extent in my opinion if if that's true and they actually said it, then you probably felt it well before this and could have impacted your drive prior to this if you're Carlos, right? But I don't know. It's, that's a weird one. And the other thing that I kind of want to amplify based on Nick's most recent call out for all of that, Carlos Sainz is fifth in the driver's standing and he's literally one point behind George Russell who didn't score in the points today. So this just speaks to... Ferrari may have stumbled their way into a quote-unquote consistent race car because to Nick's point, they're number two in the constructor standing. Their drivers are within spitting distances of being on the podium for the overall driver standings this year. But it still feels like they lost something severe. And it's one of those losses that I fear is going to hang over this team for at least two to three years because this just feels ineptitude personified despite the fact that this is probably one of the best seasons they've had in recent memory yeah 2018 ish i think when sebastian vettel was driving for them and then that was for leclerc's first year on the team i think that was the last the first half of that season was the last time it felt like they were in with the chance of a fight but i wouldn't call it uh oh sorry my computer's freaking out here I wouldn't call it uh, like that they're having a good year or that they've lucked their way into uh, 
having a consistent car because I think that Ferrari's done the most damage to Ferrari. It's not the drivers, it's not the race situations. It's definitely their reliability and their strategy calls. Luckily, they didn't really have a chance for tough strategy calls this year. And we can get into that, the like the tire situation. Um, but it was it, it was just kind of the brace was written from the start, essentially. Like there was zero passing opportunity. They just had to not screw up and not even necessarily be quick. Like Leclerc gave it a fight, especially towards the end, and was on uh, on Checo's bumper giving him the business. But other than that, there was really no. I mean, there was almost no overtaking on track. Max had a couple of, or I don't know, maybe two or three beauties right at the beginning of the race there. But other than that, it was just kind of. And here's our favorite was word it a again: procession. It was a procession. Yes. But we got to talk about the tire situation. It's since we just it. talked about, they need to figure this is going to be sort of a rant, but I, I normally like changeable conditions. If it's, you know, uh, rain, rain right before the race and then it dries out. So then you have to like, we had a monitor that Monaco situation where it kind of dried out pretty quick. And there was a bunch of like all kinds of chaos around strategy calls. Hello, Ferrari. Um, all of those types of things, but a night race with moisture, especially in a humid environment, it was, and we saw this in Turkey, what, two years ago, I think one of Lance Stroll's best race when he turned into Senna. Also shout out Stroll again, he had a fantastic race. I don't know what it is about him and wet track. Um, but they... So in Turkey, it's when they, they they kind of discovered that it's actually faster to stay out there on super worn intermediate tires when they start to, I think they started calling them like slicked immediates or slicked immediates, something like that, where they would just wear a groove in the tread and it would become a slick kind of in the middle. And then there were still kind of the edges of the intermediate tires on the outside. That same thing was happening. And they all were thinking about Turkey two years ago. So nobody was changing and then they you know took a flyer with george russell and put him out there on mediums and he was way off the pace for most of most of the race but they need to figure out something with the tires in a situation where it's not quite slicks and it's not quite intermediates something else i don't know i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor i can't figure that out but there needs to be some sort of more transitionary tires because I feel like this is becoming more common where they there was if we didn't have all of the safety cars and strategy mix-ups and things like that happening this would have been a super boring race there was literally I can think of three on track passes uh was all of all maxes and all in the first stage of the race um after he botched the start he took like I want to say it was like Bottas, Guan Yu Zhou before Latifi crashed into him and like maybe one of the Aston Martins. Um, but there was, that's all only on track passing I can think of. And every other time you saw on track passes attempted, it was Max going wide. It was Lewis going wide. It was, uh, you know, Cheka or yeah, Max tried to get past Lando, went super wide. Lewis went on the wall because, or, Dropped a place, 
and then went in the wall because of getting offline. So there needs to be something they can do to the track surface or the tires to prevent races like this from happening because they had the tire situation where they couldn't pit to slicks and they couldn't go offline. So you're literally never going to get passing if you can't go off the racing line. Anyway, rant over. No, no, but I think what's it's the solution there? I don't know. Ahead, Either be the FIA needs to be more strict about the track surfaces. They don't need to make them all the same, but make them consistent in some way. They were talking about how they resurfaced a bunch of parts of Singapore before this race. And all the new tarmac that they resurfaced, the patches, were super slick. And then the old parts of the track, the older from years and years ago, um, had had more grip. But they need to do something. I know that's like a very specialized situation for it to be a night race, have rain, Um and things like that, or develop a tire that is purposely supposed to be ran from in a drying track kind of can't run a slick, can't run a new intermediate type of situation. Something that's purpose built for that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it's it's tough because you don't have to your point, right? Like if you're if you're offline. You know, if you have if you have you know wet tire wet tires on, you're and you're offline, you're fine. But then you're at half pace, you know, or whatever that fall off is, compared to having softs or or you know, whatever you call the uh, intermediates that are, the slick that are worn down. You know, the slick intermediates. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's 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 really a tough thing to figure out, right? Because there's so few times where this comes into play for these, for, for like this track, right? We're not going to see, I mean, in theory, like they could have that in between tire. That's a little bit better, but like this track specifically, no tire is going to change the passing. Cause it's just too risky. You know, there's not, there's not enough, you know, you're, you're basically just waiting for somebody to make a mistake, right? To your point, you watch, uh, you know, Lewis, Lewis tried to, was was it Lewis on Norris and then Max goes through or something like that? Yep. So, something I can't remember if it was, I th- might've been on Sebastian Vettel actually, but no, I think you know, you're like right. The, the only real, the only real time that, that passing happens at a track like this is, you know, when somebody really makes a mistake, which, yeah, I feel like it's, I feel like it's more track than, than tire. Right. If the, if, if they have a tire that's in between there, does that tire work well enough on the dry part of the track to justify being able to move into the wet part to potentially pass or something like that? You know, like, I don't know, you know, way more scientific than that, but I'm just thinking out loud here. I I think, I don't know if they had consistent, uh, like surface gravel, whatever you want to call it. Maybe there would be some more grip on the wet the wet line. The problem is like having the intermediate tire on the dry line burns through them much much faster, which is when they turn into those slick intermediate things. Um, and again, I know it's specialized because Singapore night race and there was like certain patches. I think when they go up under the overpass and on the bridge, like they just wouldn't dry out. So there was it was like yeah. those two areas you had to have a wet tire for, but the rest of the track was for 
I don't know, maybe better drainage. Maybe there's got to be something you can do because if we didn't have the chaos with the safety cars and, you know, people pitting just before or getting a cheap hit stop during, like look at the McLarens. There's no bit, they had no business being P4 and P5. They literally just got lucky timing and they, I guess you reward them for patience for not pitting because they knew kind of what was going to go on with the, the, the changeable conditions and they ended up P4 and P5. But other than that, they should have been, what, P probably 7 for Lando because that's the only place he finishes. And then P15 for Danny Rick because he disappears after the first three laps. So I don't know what the answer is. I'm not smart enough. Ro, I'd love to hear your uh, rant on it. No, I'm going to go the opposite. I think for me, this is great for McLaren. Like they may have stumbled into saving their season because for all of our shit talking about how bad they've been and mostly it's been Daniel Ricardo centric. This was, did any of you have this on your bingo card based on this season that we were going to have what feels like a double points finish? Uh, no, not even. A, a, it almost feels like a double podium finish for McLaren because they kind of took a page out of Mercedes playbook and said, we're just going to be a professional team that are going to let everybody else shoot themselves in the foot and we will just take the points and run, which that would be the other theme I have for this particular race is the people that we expect to be professional and be competent were not that. And special shout out to George Russell. Like he might have done his best Nicholas Latifi impression today, except for the fact that he actually finished the race. And I'm not at all bitter about it because I'm not at all the one that drafted Nicholas Latifi with the last overall pick in our fantasy draft. So, <laughs> yeah, good old Gotifi proved yet again. I, I wonder what else is in store for us before the end of the season. What else is he going to pull? Just Only five races left. Turn around and start part. driving backwards or something. So, so Todd caught me in a sense because I've been updating but our not first or last. spreadsheet because I was like, oh, we haven't created tabs for the remaining races. I think our last tab created for our – which ultimately I think I'm going to share this with our Patreon listeners because that's the best way to incentivize joining the Patreon is seeing the madness that we came up with in this unholy workbook of an Excel spreadsheet. But – as I was going through, I was like, oh, we only have races through the USA, which very patriotic of us, but this is truly a global sport. So let me go ahead and add Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. And then I was like, oh, no, the Sunday scares are happening. But in this case, the Sunday scares are about the fact that our season's almost done. And I don't know about you, but it feels very weird that this is ending in mid-November of all seasons. Because I usually feel like they'll get it to the Christmas, and what lets me know that it's going to get to Christmas is... We get probably one of my favorite pieces of Formula One content, which is a secret Santa uh, driver <laughs> gift exchange. And my proposal to you guys right now, because I don't think we're going to get it this year. And if we desperately need an episode that time of year, let's make our own secret Santa for all the drivers where we gift a driver gift from one to another and we can have fun with that. So that's just totally breaking on air that. content for you guys because it's getting yep. to the point now where I'm getting sad that I don't get to chat with my buddies as frequently as I will at the end of the year. Can, can, can Max give, give Latifi driving lessons for Christmas? <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> like make it one of those old school, like when your kid gives your, uh, as a kid, you give your mom like five back rubs this year. <laughs> and my mom, your mom's like great what am i gonna do with this you may as well have gotten me a vacuum cleaner that's like shipped in with your father yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> man like that's a foot rub 
white elephant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bye. So long. Sayonara. Alvita Zen. Nikki Latifi. I just can't wait. I, I mean, I'd rather have Logan Sargent in pulling the same kind of stuff. At least it'd be fresh and surprising, but he like absolutely obliterated Guan Yu Zhou and said, oh, like I didn't see him. Like your engineer oh, didn't tell you that he was one sorry. car length back for the last six corners. And then he he's in your mirrors try, trying to dive in the inside, almost comes up level with you and you didn't see him. Give me a break. Here's another $1,000 idea because I think we've been flirting with the concept of metrics in Formula One. They should do an adjusted Latifi rating for how many points that drivers may have scored had Nicholas Latifi not ruined their race. <laughs> oh my God, that would be epic. <laughs> Whoa, so, he's somebody far smarter than me. Maybe the aforementioned Trav Pete. Like, get on that. You're, you're one of those big brain boys. I believe in you. <laughs> Latifi rating? It's, it's just too bad because... Like, I mean, he brings it on himself, right? Like, it would be so much easier to not talk trash about him. But then here we are. Nothing on the line. No reason for him to be taking people out. And yet again, like, it just yeah, it drives me crazy. He's the Ralph Wiggum of Formula One, where it's like, he's funny. <laughs> And then you realize, holy crap, Ralph just said his mouth tastes like cat food. He ate cat food. Like that's how it's turned into for Nicholas Latifi where I'm like, I'm no longer shocked by it. If he called Mike Massey Super Nintendo Chalmers, I would have giggled from now until the end of the season and maybe the start of the next season. I've been like, give this man an honorary spot on the grid because it's gotten to the point that much like the Ferrari ineptitude has made me a fan of theirs through some weird Stockholm syndrome, I'm almost going to become a Nicholas Satifi fan. I'm going to look up what he does every week next year just because I'm going to have that missing pang in my heart for that Canadian ineptitude. He's, he's, he's basically just the banana peel of Super Mario Kart. No, right? he's like not all the because other drivers, bananas at all least the other provide you sustenance. When is the last time <laughs> Nicholas Satifi has provided sustenance to anybody? It's just crazy because, like, who else is at the bottom? Mick Schumacher? Mick Mick doesn't... Like, when was the last time Mick took somebody out? Sad. Like, he took out his spiritual oh, yeah. Obi-Wan Sad. Kenobi. Yeah. But, Miami. It but it's not lot. common, right? No, but he normally takes to- himself out. He just slaps yeah. a wall. <laughs> yeah. But that's the other thing. Like, in this case, Seb is being the Canadian and Nicholas Satifi is being the German, where he's forcefully ending people's races... Or taking things out of their hands with almost a Blitzkrieg-like fashion. Whereas Mick is one that's like, I'm just going to do harm to myself. Sorry, everybody. I created a virtual safety car, eh? Latifi does that too. I mean, not to bring up Abu Dhabi last year again. But, he, I mean, he did it in Monaco this year. I love his responses when those things happen too. It's just like, the car didn't stop. The car didn't turn. It's always like, I, he's like so aloof and surprised at like, Hey, you're driving a race car that goes 200 miles an hour. You should probably be aware of how to use it. And it's always like, oh, the car didn't stop. The car didn't turn. It's anyway. All right. So before we get into the fantasy leagues, five races left. How many other drivers does Latifi take out between now and the end of the season? I'll set the over under five and a half. 
No. No. <laughs> one per. No. I would think the over-under is one and a half, and I would still take the over. Oh, what can that number be before you even contemplate taking the under? No, no, because five and a half. <laughs> yeah, five and a half. Five and a half. I would take the under then. If the if the over under is five and a half. Okay, so four and a half. You're still fifty fifty over under because that's what we want. Is no, uh, I would take the under four and a half as well. I I think one and a half would be a hard decision for me. I would that I would I would take the over, but reluctantly because there's only five races left. I think he's probably good for crashing into somebody three, four times a season since we have 22, 23 races this year. So Here's five the races left. I I'm think he's Kansas- good. Maybe one more, maybe two more. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. My football team is three. capable of doing very incredible things because we have Patrick Mahomes as our quarterback. This is a little bit of a humble brag, so please fast forward this if I, you find me to be too nauseous. When I see Patrick Mahomes do the things that he does on a football field, I suspend disbelief and I truly consider everything is in play. Very few other people get me to feel that way about their profession. Nicholas Joseph Latifi. I'm not even sure that's your middle name. For this moment, it is your middle name. But your ineptitude as a race car driver is reaching Mahomesian levels of amazingness. I don't know what you're going to do next. I'm just here for the proverbial ride. (laughs) And I say three and a half over. Book it. I'll put any amount of Capri Suns you guys want to take. I'll take the under for that. Uh, no, we have to bet something. Okay, we're gonna bet a Latifi shirt. Oh, Chimney Crisis. Okay, that's all right. It I can, can be like that. an Etsy shirt, not an actually official, officially okay, licensed one, because those ones are. Oh, I would love to see like the pen and pixel, no limit, like classy NASCAR black t shirt with I, Latifi in bedazzled rhinestones. I already know what I'm gonna get you, actually. I already know the image. I guarantee it's on a, on a Etsy shirt store somewhere already so okay i'll take the under you're taking the over three and a half three and a half okay that's a bet god um i do want to talk about something because this came out during the weekend and it's actually pretty serious and hopefully it doesn't run too long but apparently so then we're now in the cost cap era everybody knows if you don't know what the cost cap era is we're now in an era in formula one where previously the big teams would spend four or five hundred million dollars a year to remain at the top. They'd pump as much money into it. That's why they had to get these crazy sponsors, um, and that was the only way to win, really, in Formula One. And it's been like that for a very long time. We're now in an era where, at least this this is the second year of the cost cap, the the limit for spending, and that includes everything except except your driver salaries. So like transportation, um, entertainment, you know, food and beverage, logistics for moving from track to track all around this year and developing your car, you have 145 million. Last year, I think it was 155 million, but don't quote me. Um, They ended up raising it this year uh, a little bit, but last year it's come to light this weekend that apparently two teams broke the cost cap. One was a minor breach of under 5% over the cost cap. The other was a major breach over the cost cap. What are the two teams do you guys think and who did what? Mercedes has to be one of them. I'll go. I don't know what they did, but 
I just feel like they're the big spenders. See, I go the opposite. I go Mercedes is the under 5%. And I want to say, especially after seeing some of the marketing that they've chosen recently and really going for it, go ahead and put me down for McLaren as the overspenders. Interesting. So this is, again, complete speculation at this time, but there was heavy paddock rumors and... The FIA has officially confirmed that they're issuing cer- certificates of compliance to all but two of the teams. So certificate compliance means, yep, we reviewed your financials. Everything checks out. The two teams were the minor breach was Aston Martin. Hmm. The major breach was Red Bull, which means they spent more than $7.9 million over the cost cap, allegedly. And the punishments for minor breach include... Uh, fines, uh, reduction in like development, wind tunnel, CFD time. Sure. Drivers are constructors, constructor standing points uh, being penalized and driver's points being penalized. The major breach is literally just one thing as far as I understand, disqualification from the championship. So they have to submit the financials by March, being that this is the first year that they've ever reviewed them. It's taken this long until they've actually been able to get through everything. I'm sure that F1 has accountants, third parties reviewing this stuff. My question to you guys is, do you think that if it's true that Red Bull spent over the cost cap, that they should be stripped of any constructors and or driver's points, or if they really did go over the major breach level disqualified from the championship that means a bunch of things right not only would they could they didn't win the uh, constructors anyway so that doesn't really matter but the going from like i think they got second in the constructors championship for going from like two to three means several tens of millions of dollars in prize money that they would have should have could have won um but then max won the driver's championship by like eight points, I think. Yep. My math is right. Your math is correct. So wait, this is off of last year's so this is, calculations? Yeah. So they have to turn in their financials and everything. If they breach, and if this is in the bylaws, you can look it up on for, on the FIA website, that if they breach the, the cost cap, the minor breach is all four or five of those things that I mentioned. Driver's points. Uh, constructors points, development time, fines, and I think there's one more. And then the major breach is just possible disqualification from the championship. So if that comes to light, that they really did overspend by a lot, would you guys like to see them get booted from the championship or lose constructors point standings or obviously most importantly, Max to lose his driver's championship i can't believe we're talking about this again in a different light but that came out this weekend and i wanted to get you guys thoughts on it so this just confirms that netflix does own the fia because no reason we have this drama this bullshit again like we have to go back and revisit this again this is so ridiculous to me i get that this is how the sport works God, just like... Could you guess probably one of the strongest sources of where this came from? 
Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess it's, it's uh whoa, whoa, Tolf. <laughs> Sir, <laughs> you are not being clever. <laughs> Everyone knows that if it's Mercedes involved, they would have one of their lesser teams reported in. So who's Mercedes's lesser team? No, this is direct from the the mouth of Mr. Toto Wolf. He was one of the strongest uh, advocates. Yeah, he definitely felt some type of way in all of the pre-race interviews. So that's why I said this is all speculation and conjecture. But somehow the FIA did, through the grapevine, officially say or unofficially officially say that they're issuing certificates of compliance to all but two teams. I mean, to be fair, Toto Wolf has and and Lewis Hamilton have the absolute green light to to blow this shit up, right? They should. They they would be the most affected by it. And if they lost because of that, then it absolutely sucks. And you know, like, I, I hate to say that like anybody's championship should be taken away or any teams. I mean, I know they didn't win the constructors, but like. That just sucks for the sport, in my opinion. You know, it's like, you know, it's like we're revisiting all this BS in baseball this year because of, you know, Aaron Judge hitting his 61st, 62nd, potentially 62nd home run, right? And like all these people coming out of the woodwork saying like, oh, well, that should be the home run record because Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa all, you know, did steroids. It's like, it's tough for me because as a fan of Barry Bonds, you know, like that guy is, if you just statistically speaking, that guy is the greatest hitter, home run hitter of all time by far, regardless of steroids, right? Like I understand the argument for people that want to be like, you know, oh, can't talk about the steroid era. Well, let's not be racist and let's, let's go back in baseball and talk about pre African-Americans being able to play the sport professionally. Like if we really want to be serious about why those old records exist by a bunch of white dudes, but like, that's another podcast. I won't go too far down that path, but I'm just saying like, it's crazy that we're having this conversation, but also like, I would hope that if that's the truth, that like that's, there's no, there's no way you can spin that as fair. Right. Because obviously Mercedes if they are under the cap and, and, you know, played by the rules, it's way too close for them to lose to somebody that didn't play by the rules. If it was like Haas spent 20 million over what they were supposed to and didn't do shit with it, then nobody would care. Right. Like we wouldn't even have this conversation, but like, it just irks me. I don't know what else to say about it. It just irks me. No, I would say this, if for that one in a million moonshot that this comes to fruition, this cancels, no, I wouldn't, not even cancels, this kills the sport in American eyes. I'd be that far to say it because say what you will about how things went down last year, we had a definitive winner and more importantly, we drove so much interest that now we have a podcast out of this because of how that season ended up and how so many eyes are on that season that affected the decision that the three of us made to create a podcast to almost cash in on the popularity of the sport. And if they say that, Oh yeah, you know what? We've come to our senses. And because of bureaucratic red tape, Mercedes, you guys are actually the winners of last season. It's going to kill the sport. Nobody's going to want to do it on a personal and petty level. 
I'm glad Toto Wolf finally did something to justify wearing a black turtleneck and saying this is not what you guys want. Because that was a lasting image of last season's Drive to Survive. And my man has turned into Gandhi. He's been such a pacifist this year. He's actually been on his best behavior. It's just been watching Christian Horner be a tired old biddy and just shoot subliminals his way the whole season. So kudos to Toto if he can actually pull this off, but it's going to kill the sport. Interesting. I think this season, like what to that point, Ro? I was just going to say, what do you think? What do you think is the right solution for yeah, that? Topic? I'll get to that in a second. But I think this season overall, this new era of Formula One in that we're in, it has done enough to kill or squash or put the flame out a little bit from American interests because we. I don't think like if your Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl for seven years straight. Um, people would start getting bored of that pretty quickly, right? And we had like probably the most exciting season, if not if not the most, one of the most in the last twenty years. Um, come down to literally the last race, the last lap. Um, the I, I think this season has has done enough to to quell the interest of the casual fan. And it's only nerds like us that are still here watching it. But the. Uh, well, actually, I think you want to respond to that, Ro. No, I would just say this. Answer. Yes and no. Because as a relative newcomer to the sport, especially when I'm kind of spitting game to the OGs that I share the screen with, you guys have been very quick to say, hey, this actually feels like a normal Formula One season because we have a dominant champion that's just making everybody else look like a pedestrian. Schumacher did it. Hamilton did it. Senna did it. So in this regard, it's regressing to the mean. And I will say this, whenever relatively new fans of the sport consult their OGs, I'm sure they're getting some version of what you guys kind of told me at that point, which is this is kind of normal. This is how the Formula One job operates. Last year was an aberration. So consider yourself lucky that you were in that moment. To your analogy about the Super Bowl, right? I agree with you. Let's say the Chiefs play the Niners because I know we've got a big Niner fan base. Both teams are 19 and us 18 and 0 going into the Super Bowl. And it comes down to the last pay and Jimmy Garoppolo throws a questionable pass where they may or may not have been holding on the play. But 6 months or a year after the fact, the NFL front office, the Roger Goodells of the world say, you know what? We're going to invalidate that result because Jimmy Garoppolo's towel that was across his waist was one inch too small or one inch too big. That would kill a sport in that way. Yeah, no, I could see that. But I agree with you on some level there, Ro. I appreciate that. I mean, I'll take my small minor victory when I can get it. (laughs) But back to the, the bigger question at hand. I don't think that they should invalidate the championship like this. If they need to pull the same thing they did with Ferrari in 2020 with their fuel pump issue and make them suck for the next year and, or, or, you know, put out a fine, even if they have to do it publicly, put out a, a fine, restrict their development time, restrict their points or not the constructors points. If you want to like lose the team money, but do not invalidate the championship because the last thing Formula One needs is more controversy about Max Verstappen, the asterisk champion or exactly. whatever. 
And I think I didn't do a good enough job because I agree with you. I'm probably the biggest Max Verstappen hater on the panel, but even this would make me sympathetic to Max Verstappen, which is a sentence I never thought I would utter in public company, private company, because say what you will, and you guys have been my teachers in this, you have to let them race no matter what happens. Ultimately, at the end of the game, it's not a competition around who can interpret the rules the best to get into that moral or immoral gray area that doesn't cause them to win, but also doesn't cause them to lose. But this would be one of those things where you're taking away the spirit of the sport. You're taking away all the excitement that the Senna's, the pros, all these legendary drivers that I didn't have the fortune to watch in person. I just have to read about them or watch their documentaries. You're peeing on their graves by saying, hey, we have to do it this way. So that's why I hope they don't do this. And it would be... To me, it would almost be a historic precedence that we've never seen before because I've never seen a governing body of a sport take a championship away in this sense. For Say what you will about global sports as a whole, we do a great job of sticking to the results once the results have actually happened. We've never once retroactively said, oh, this title's taken away. Because if there was, my gentleman from in the San Francisco hat would be celebrating maybe one or two Sacramento Kings championships. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the thing about it is you're both spot on. You, ca you can't take it away at this point. It just It's just going to hurt the sport if you do that. Also, on the flip side of that, even the penalties that you're talking about, Todd, like if they're fined, if they're somehow, you know, oh, they've, you know, they have to reduce development time, whatever those things are, testing time, whatever, what are those financial penalties that they can imply? The problem is you've now given them basically two winning seasons because of the timeline of this situation, mm -hmm. right? If that is absolutely not right. Because they're already, if they already spent that money prior to this, they've already got that money out of it, right? So, like, it's not like you can pull back the development from them and where they're at right now. And I mean, just look at the performance of the car this year. You can imagine that anybody on the grid is looking at them and going, wow, it looks like they spent $7.6 million more than we did last year to get to this point, right? Like, the argument is like pretty black and white, in my opinion. But it, it, there is no solution that, that I think makes any kind of sense, really. Like, yeah, I guess some sort of fines or whatever, but they've got enough money. Money doesn't matter. They've already got the development time. They already got a winning car. They've got a second year of a winning car. They needed... What, is it, what good does it do? They take it away from next year? Then, like, that just causes drivers to want to go someplace else, right? Yeah, and, it, like, if if... There's not the really hard thing about this, and exactly to your point, Nick, is that they, if there isn't some sort of severe penalty that they can give to the teams more immediately, they then what's to stop the big exactly. Red Bulls, Mercedes, Ferraris that going over the budget cap and then just taking the hit two years from now? And their cars already, and then everyone else is still trying to catch up to them anyway. So they have one season of potentially mediocrity maybe their car is just as good the one thing and so this is i have an idea and it's not mine i i don't have an idea i heard a fantastic idea and i want to shout out tomo 
Tomo F1. If you haven't heard him or seen his YouTube channel, check him out. He does uh, come to our show, Tomo. Join us on the exact actually. He did. He did promise to uh, come on the show. I did DM with him. I felt very cool for a second on Twitter. Um, but he, I said, I wanted to bet him over the World Cup this year, and uh, if England loses to to USA. Then he has to come on the podcast, and if I lose, then I have to donate to like whatever charity he picks or something. Uh, anyway, so hopefully he comes on in the future. But he had a fantastic idea in a video earlier this week. What's the number one problem that car or that teams face when developing a car? Talk to me. Wait. Add a weight penalty. Add ballast. So like literally half the, the field. Hmm. This year is stripping off their paint to save like ounces or grams or whatever, wherever they can. Like half the Williams is literally just carbon fiber because they're trying to get under the weight limit. So add for every $100,000 or whatever they are over, man, make it harsh, right? Um, add all unsold Nicholas Latifi merchandise to the cars the drivers drivers have to wear it like joey and friends when he puts on all of chandler's clothes um no they have to add weight weight ballast which is they do in other series for different sorts of reasons they do it in world endurance championship they do it in a bunch of things add weight to the cars um which literally i think it was what is it one kilogram of fuel is worth a tenth per lap or something like that I can't remember exactly the, f- the formula, but that's the one, the biggest battle. And if they were guaranteed to be a second slower, even with their faster car for an entire season because of the weight penalty, teams would be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to play by the rules ish, right? They could still maybe spend another 400 million and then develop the best car on the planet that the world's ever seen in F1 and still be faster than everyone. But nobody's really going to do that, right? The other thing with it's, punishments to me is the fact that say what you will about the mystery punishment that Ferrari may or may not have gotten. We still don't know what it was. So that's the other thing that's intriguing to me is if they go through with this, are they actually going to be public with what the punishment is? Or is this going to also be one of those closed door punishments of Red Bull was punished? That's all you get. That's probably what's going to happen because it's Formula One. Well, which that's frustrating from a unless you're inside the paddock i don't care about that like let me know what they did let me know the severity of it like if you are just going to let my imagination take over it's not going to work because then i don't care i just know something is off like maybe the race car or maybe the car companies won't necessarily break the rule again but even then, I don't buy it because a lot of these uh, car teams are printing money hand over fist. So I need to know full transparency of what happened, what was done, why was it done this way? Because it needs to establish a precedence because ultimately to the point that both of you have made, we need this to be severe. We need teams to double, if not triple think like, do I really want to pursue this? Because I do not want not only a symbolic scarlet letter, but a tangible scarlet letter that lets me know, yeah, I fucked up. I mean, I hate to go back to the baseball analogy, but like this kind of complacency and lack of consistency around the rules is what most people went away from the sport from. But the league wanted the the 
gray area because they wanted to profit off of all these guys hitting crazy home runs. Right. So like FIA doing it with formula one is no, not really any different than baseball in the nineties, early two thousands, because what, what's the best thing to come from them? Like, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, like they could have easily known about this prior to this time. Right. And maybe it's because Toto spoke about it and then they had to acknowledge it. Like this could be something they've been, you know, knowing about for a long, a long amount of time. And yes, sure. There's th- in theory, yes, it takes a long time to figure out the financials, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's a lot of money. Like you think that you could just do quick estimate of numbers and be like, Hmm, that doesn't seem to add up. Right. Right. So like, I know they're not, they're not going to do like a half-ass job and they're going to be very thorough about it and specific. But like, in my mind, it just seems like they probably glossed over because why would they want to, why would they want this to come out and mess up the championship from last year again, when they've already gone through all of this, you know, but I, I hope that it comes out that the accountants that found this exorbitant spend from Red Bull is actually Michael Massey. (laughs) (laughs) He switched careers. No, I mean, (laughs) they have to do something about it because if they don't immediately, then it's the cost cap era just goes, goes away immediately. Right. It's the credibility of the sport. Yeah. They have to do something. I agree. And I don't think they'll do it publicly, but, uh, like they didn't handle the Abu Dhabi situation publicly. They didn't handle the Ferrari fuel issue publicly. That that's just the way Formula One ownership operates now. So I don't think we should be surprised if it's all done behind closed doors. But they have to do something, and they have to make whether or not Red Bull's affected. Because I don't think that they should strip Max of his title because that'll just ruin so many things. Um, but they have to do something to deter teams. And I really like that weight idea, but there's probably other stuff they could do. Like your development costs or your development time, if they drastically reduce it, you immediately lose 50% or something like that if for a major breach. I, I don't know. They got to figure something out though. But I mean, but the, the problem with that is that it still puts it into this kind of like murky area where a team could look at that and say okay cool we have max signed through next season we have checo signed through next season it's worth us overspending while we have them to get further and score this because three years from now we're not going to have a competitive team we already see that with with you know the the rule changes right Haas last year, two years ago, whatever it was, where they're just like, yeah, we're working on the future car. This, Hopefully these guys can get around the track without getting run over kind of attitude. So to me, it just, if, if there's some form of penalty that's not, that can be kind of compartmental, compartmentalized into testing or whatever that is, it just, it just encourages them to, to do this strategically then, right? Like they're just going to break the Red Bull and, and Mercedes and Ferrari have massive amounts of money to put towards this, it, you know, not to say that they would be, they wouldn't, you know, have some sort of, you know, struggles because of that, that penalty. 
but I feel like something like that would just be something that they would, they would just add it to the mix to negotiate and, and strategize on how they would use it to their advantage on certain seasons. Then disqualify Horner and Max from the next year's championship. I don't know. It has to be something crazy severe. Like if you're going right. to lose Max potentially by. But see that in a way though, you're not punishing the team more so than you're punishing the fans. And not only that, I think you further the divisive nature of modern sports fandom by saying, Oh yeah, you know what? This title's invalidated because the last thing I want is a bunch of championship deniers populating my Twitter timelines, every race being like Max really won this. So they they have to figure this out and this is not a easy task and i guess one last question before we go to fantasy corner is you guys had mentioned that this is a symptom of the current owning group of formula one but was this type of lack of transparency also prevalent when eccleson was in charge of formula one or no this has just been a more liberty media influence decision no it's been it's always it's kind of been around i mean like uh what was it the mid to late 2000s when the whole mclaren scandal happened and somebody at mclaren was stealing or somebody at ferrari was stealing car development stuff and leaking it or attempting to leak it to mclaren mclaren got i think a hundred million dollar fine something pretty pretty crazy and this was before the cost cap era but it's always been most of what happened and transpired was handled behind closed doors and then they just publicly announced the fine and I think somebody got excluded from the championship and yada, yada, yada. So Is that why Fernando Alonso never won a championship and was always talking up his credibility like you guys were saying where he's now only 30 points off the... No. No? Okay. That was just my thought. Alonso right. was racing for Alpine at that... Or for Renault at that time, winning world championships. Touché, anyway. Fernando. Let's do fantasy. Can we call this the fantasy suite? Because I've been watching a lot of Bachelor and I just need to get that out of my mind. Uh, that pops something nope. else all in right. my hey, mind. Not all these ideas are winners, guys, but that's <laughs> make, that's what makes you cherish them even more when they do win. So, Todd, where were we in our gamut of fantasy-related activities? All right. So, uh, starting off with the Voldemort League, I uh, was pretty shocked to see uh, A.A. Ron and P5 had zero points this week. I feel like pretty much everyone's gone given up on this league. Um, Nicholas Ingvall is currently sitting pretty in uh, P4, but the top three were uh, Jackal. Oh, I'm sorry. You had uh, P3 for the week. You're fourth in the league, Nick. Um, followed by Julie, second of the week, and myself uh, first for the week. And in the league standings, I'm P1, Julie is P2, and uh, Jackal P3. Followed closely by one nicking ball. All right. The Discord Fantasy League did not go well. Shout out again to Nicholas Latifi for ruining my flyer pick of Cho Guan Yu. Hey, he had a boba helmet. He was representing, you know, first Chinese driver to represent the race in a, the greater Asian area. Asian continent, whatever I'm trying to say. Let's go to the results. So, for the Singapore GP, we had uh, 
Let me try that again for the Singapore GP. There we go. Uh, we're tapping that ass in P3, Nicholas C. Trav Pete with a monster week and a little bit, uh, a little bit of smack talk in the Discord about his monster week in P2. And our one Rohit Malhotra, Rohit M13. Acknowledge me, you jabronis. And I will Massive. be bringing some of that smack talk to that Discord as well. <laughs> it's not about quantity of wins at Team Malhotra. It's about quality. And I painted the motherfucking Mona Lisa when it comes to race weeks. <laughs> uh, Nick, you were in P14 and I was two points ahead of you in P13 for the week. Nice. Overall for the season. Solid performance. This is where it gets spicy. Uh, I am now in P3 and have been overtaken by said Trav Pete in P2 now by a large margin. That's what happens when you score 150 points more. And kind of starting to run away with it. Aaron, all Haas, no breaks in P1. All right. Oh, sorry. And uh, Nick, you are in uh, P12 and Rohit, a respectable P6 right in the midfield. Yes, the bandit. SD bestie. All right. Results for Singapore GP. Uh, in P4 this week, and did he ever have bad luck? He had three out of six DNFs this week. So Aaron in P4, 36 points. Uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Nick didn't fare much better because he had two of the other three DNFs. 39 points. Rohizi in uh, second, P2, with 43 points. And I had actually, I think, a uh, pretty monster week in P1 with uh, 66 points. So the season standings, get back to that real quick. I've got him up. We have in fourth place, A.A. Ron at 810. Nicholas Engval Latifi in third place with 831. I'm in second place with 842. And Todd Yates flirting with the 900-point barrier with 899. That's right. I don't remember what the bet is for this league, but I'm smelling it, whatever it is. I feel like you're the rock and I'm the nameless, faceless interviewer in the backstage, like a little Kevin Kelly, little Michael Cole, where you're just <laughs> going to have your way with me verbally <laughs> and consensually. Come check out the Discord. We also have a Jabroni chat channel. That is true. It is true. So we got any predictions for Japan next week? One thing I will say, I didn't realize the that the race is going to be Saturday at 10 p.m. On the West Coast. Yeah. So we're not going to have to get up early. Can't wait for it. Uh, predictions. I'm going to go uh, Alonso P3. I think he gets a little redemption. The Alpine failure. Obviously, he blew something up, so they're going to have new parts back there. He was fast all weekend. He seems to have complete control of that car. Uh, I think it is faster than McLaren, so we're going to go... Alonso P3, I think we're going to have some more Ferrari blunders, so I'm not going to put them on the podium. I'll put a Merck 
in P2, that would be Lewis, not George. I feel like George is start, this is the start of a rough patch for George. And Max P1. Nick, how about you? Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm going Well, I got to I got to get I got to get Lando on the podium. So I'm going to go Lando 3 Lewis 2 Max 1. Sorry Ferrari. All right. I mean, part of me wants to do a non-Max podium, but that's not going to happen. My jinx already worked on him, so he's going to continue to win all the single races. I think he's got five left. He'll go five for five. I'll go Max 1, Charlie 2, Russell 3. That's probably more of a safe podium. I took a bit of a flyer. You know what? F it. I'll take a flyer too. I will go... Max one, Russell two, Lewis three. Oh wow! Get Ferrari out of there. I thought you were going to say blunder. Esti Besti is going to come back. No, and... no, I'm I'm saving that for Brazil. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, the, <laughs> the car's fast, but he's not that fast. All right. If you're going to swing for the moon, swing for the moon. All right. Exactly. Remember that when we come time when it comes time to make that race prediction. <laughs> Yeah, I, and when you ask me, I'm going to say Max 1, Sergio 2, Charles 3, because I'm a little bitch when it comes to that sort of prediction. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Exhaust Notes Formula One podcast. You got you, you should follow these guys. They're going to tell you how that you can find them outside of this podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Rohizi, on Instagram at RoadM13. Todd, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at TEZF1, on Instagram at TEZY. Come check out pictures of my daughter. She's cute. Can you make her first year like montage of pictures and milestones set to I Fell in Love with the Coco? <laughs> I already have used that song on Instagram stories. Oh, I, you you should continue to use it. I, I mean, definitely not will. too many songs with Sonya. Like, I don't even think there are that many songs with Tanya that I could like <laughs> mess with the lyrics. Yep. Nick, take us home, please. Be the be the DD <laughs> with a car full of fo- drunken idiots like Todd and I. <laughs> you can follow me at Nick Ingvall on all platforms. More importantly, follow Exhaust Notes FM everywhere. And uh, hit that first link in the description to join us in the Discord. Probably watch the race with the rest of the Discord next weekend, I would assume. So we'll see you there. Thanks for listening. RIP, Catch Coolio. you on the next one. Peace. Fantastic voyage.